How's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be continuing that series on Eucharistology. But before we begin, remember patreon.com slash Militant Thomist. If you'd love to become a patron, remember to subscribe, comment, like. You, you know everything to do. I don't need to explain these things to you. You guys have been around long enough. At least I hope so. But if not, I'm sure there's probably plenty of links in the description by now. So what we will be talking about today is we'll be continuing on the last supper this is going to be part two and i will be showing that the last supper was not only uh the body and blood of our lord in a proper sense but um it is also uh, a sacrifice in the proper sense of the term so the thesis is going to be that christ at the last supper offered his body and blood to the father under the species of bread and wine so we already went over what species means. It basically means appearances. We already went over what we mean by body and blood. Again, in the most general sense, we're, we're speaking of here. But now we kind of need to define what we mean by offer. So uh, an offering is going to be something which uh, we're going to just describe as a, as a sacrifice. So we could say he sacrificed his body and blood to the Father and to the species of bread and wine. Or I guess you could say the whole action was a sacrifice, more properly speaking. But uh, our definition for a sacrifice, and this is probably the most important locus when it, when it comes to talking about the sacrifice of the Eucharist, is actually deciding on what we mean by sacrifice. Because when we discuss this with, for example, Protestants, you see this in, uh, in, in almost any Protestant work. Uh, Chemnitz does this, especially uh, prolifically, is they're going to change the definition of sacrifice. Um, to make it some sort of improper mode of speaking or different mode of speaking. And that is what they're going to apply to the statements of the fathers. So we have to be very careful what we mean by sacrifice, because otherwise almost almost anybody can uh, agree that uh, the Eucharist is a sacrifice. So a sacrifice is going to be an act of external worship in which some sensible thing by destruction is legitimately handed over to God to acknowledge his supreme majesty. So uh, it's going to be first an act of worship, and worship is uh, the, the testimony, the excellence of another, uh, of another person, another thing. And there can be two types of worship. Is first, there could be external worship, and second, there could be internal worship. Uh, 
Now, internal worship is going to be some sort of uh, some sort of, I guess you could say, internal um, act of the will, uh, which is not manifested externally. But external worship is clear. It's it's something you are doing uh, with your body or with things. So there's uh, two ways in which something can be can uh, be an external act of worship. So it can either be by an action. So let's say you sign the cross, you uh, vocally pray, you genuflect, or there can be um, some sort of permanent uh, thing involved. So uh, this comes in two sorts. Uh, there can either be something which is taken and then consecrated unto God. So let's say you have, um, um, that's a good example. Let's say somebody, like, like they used to have in the early church where they would take uh, take food and bring it up for the poor. That would be an external act of worship, which involves um, some sort of permanent thing which is being offered to God. Now, there's uh, that. that's one type. And then the second type is there can be a destruction, uh, a destructive action. So you take an animal and you slaughter it. So rather than taking your thing and offering it up for uh, consecrating it to the use of of, uh, of God, uh, usually the use of, of, of the church, which um, is is technically the use of God, but um, with with the use of the church uh, in in a sacrifice, there's a destruction, a destructive action. So this is how. This is how uh, it really distinguishes from the rest of the types of worship we can think about. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this actually comes into play. And this is just going to be my, my brief aside because, um, because this is very important. When, when Protestants don't understand the difference between what's called, uh, what's called Latria and Dulia. So when it comes to the veneration of the saints, we can uh, we can be said to to worship them. We can give a testimony of their excellence with submission towards them. Yeah, we we, we can do that. We can even uh, it can even be externally done. Uh, you you can write hymns to uh, you, you, just like you would write a poem for your wife. You could write hymns to uh, the the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's uh it, it's it's an ex you can have an external act of worship. You may even uh, give. Uh, you may even have some permanent thing which you offer up to uh, to something and it consecrated to them. You may even have that. Uh, but the difference is um, with a with a sacrifice, there's that destructive act uh, destructive action. And the reason behind the destructive action is when you take something and you destroy it, uh, it, it becomes a signification of the fact that uh, that the person you are offering it unto has supreme dominion over the thing's entire existence, which is only due unto God. So, for example, we think of the the offering of the Son unto the Father. There is an acknowledgement of supreme dominion which is happening in that sacrifice. So it it can't be it can't be uh, said to have been uh, be done to any anything else but God. So uh, here we recognize that there is a distinction, uh, well, that there's a difference between adoration, because adoration is an internal act of worship, or of mere offerings. Because while there's a consecration of the thing, there isn't the destruction of the thing. So this is specifically what we mean by sacrifice. We talk about the sacrifice of the Eucharist. That is what we mean. And the destruction comes through, uh, um, comes through the, the eating of the thing. Um, but 
that is again well actually um the i so there's there's actually debate about this so uh some will say and and we're going to get into this later but uh just because i accidentally brought it up i will some say it's going to be um the the eating of the thing but uh others are going to say that it's the um that it's the immolation or the uh the 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 dual uh consecration because in it the uh the bread and the wine are sacramentally separated but we, we we will get into this. There's there's plenty more distinctions to be made. We're just going over in the widest possible sense uh, right now in these first three theses. And then we're going to get into uh, specifics about how presence works, how exactly the sacrifice works and everything like that. So uh, when it comes to the doctrine of the church, uh, the Trent uh, Council of Trent defined it in session 22, chapter one. So uh, when it comes to theological note, it's going to be the same as the last one. So de fide divina, uh, uh, divina et catholica uh, definita. That's something which is def of defined divine and Catholic faith. <clears throat> so when it comes to our proof for this, because many are uh, many, many don't don't realize um, or recognize any sort of language of sacrifice which is used. Uh, throughout the the account of the Lord's Supper, and I didn't recognize uh, until I started really uh, digging into it how much sacrificial language uh, there is. So first, um, the the one of my own uh, discovery from Darwell Stone, he mentions this, is that in the language of do this, so you have do this in remembrance of me, because that's actually the section which most people point to as being a as the Eucharist as a mere memorial. But actually, uh, if you look throughout the Old Testament, when you see uh, the language of do this, actually, uh, in the uh, Pentateuch, especially, you're going to see that do this uh, usually uh, connotates offer this, that it's something in which you're offering or sacrificing. So uh, the language of doing this uh, signifies some sort of ritual uh, action of offering, rather than merely um, a general uh, action. So uh, the language of the body being given uh, not only to the apostles, but for the apostles, something which is being given for another. Um, second, that his body is poured out for them. And then also for many, uh, this sort of language indicate indicates a true sacrifice and then the blood of Christ is poured out for the remission of sins. And without sacrifice, there is no remission of sins, as we uh, remember from Hebrews. And also that uh, when you have the making of a covenant with the effusion of blood, as we remember from as we remember from Exodus, uh, you see in the old covenant, there was the effusion of blood with uh with the covenant and there was a sacrifice with that so all of this uh this sacrificial language of it being offered uh for or poured out for or um <clears throat> or many of these uh many of these figures of speech are clearly signifying a sacrifice and it's something which is uh in every case um in in the present because if we uh if the protestants uh, had their way with this or uh, any of uh, that, that is to say anybody who denies sacrifice it would be that this is uh this is his blood which will be which will be poured out but it, it doesn't say that it, it says is poured out for them or this is my body which will be for the uh for them but no it is uh it is for them so there's this language uh which is present um all of if you if you look throughout um all of the participles 
uh, throughout are going to be present participles, uh, not something which is which is future. So when you look throughout the tradition, uh, again, it's pretty um, non-controversial. Uh, the only controversial part is exactly what the fathers mean by sacrifice. Some are going to say um, some sort of sacrifice of Thanksgiving, which is it, it is true that it involves sacrifice of Thanksgiving, but not only a sacrifice of Thanksgiving. So uh, the language of he offering himself at the Last Supper, um, him being compared to Melchizedek, uh, the Last Supper being a uh, said to be a type of the Paschal Lamb. So you see this especially um, this is especially clear because. <clears throat> the Last Supper occurs right after right after the meal of Passover, uh, where you have the sacrifice of the lamb. So you have that you had that meal of Passover, and then right after that you had the Last Supper. So you had a sacrificial meal, and then right after that a sacrificial meal. And the fathers uh take this and run with it and say, Hey, you have a you have a sacrifice, you have the last of the sacrificial meals of the old covenant, and then right after you have instituted by our Lord the uh, the first sacrificial meal of the of the new covenant so now on to objections and there's two there's two major ones uh the first one is going to be saint paul uh says that christ offered himself once in hebrews but uh that one uh offering took place on the cross therefore at the supper he did not offer himself uh, himself and uh the reply that we're going to have is is we're going to kind of distinguish the the minor premise because uh, we, we would say that Christ offering himself once, uh, yes, bloodily he offered himself once, but that this sacrifice uh, continually uh, in time is is not, re there's no re-sacrifice uh, re that happens, but there is a, uh, a truly a making present and truly a participation in that sacrifice, which occurs after an unbloody manner. And there is uh, a, 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 not a numerical uh, unity between the two, but there is that essential unity uh, between the two uh, under different modes. So, yes, we, we can still say that Christ offered himself once. Uh, we, we can wholeheartedly agree with that because clearly in the context, he's not talking about uh, the subjective application or um, or the unbloody mode. He's uh, he's talking about the the objective uh, occurrence of the sacrifice of Christ. And um, so, oh yeah, the, the second one is going to be that St. Paul says uh, that Christ by a single offering perfected those who were sacrif uh, sanctified, but this was the oblation of the cross. Therefore, at the supper, there was no oblation sanctifying men. And this is uh, actually something interesting that James White brings up all the time. So again, we would we would distinguish uh, we would distinguish between uh, the offering, which is objective, and then the sub, uh, subjective application of that offering. For example, we wouldn't we wouldn't say that uh, because the the offering of Christ on the cross uh, sanctified uh, perfected those who are sanctified that we wouldn't need to preach the gospel or have baptism or have any of the sacraments or uh, do anything. We we there's there's a difference uh, between the objective and the subjective aspects of a certain thing, a certain thing wrought, and then a certain thing, uh, which is eventually applied. So uh, that is all I have for you. Next time we will talk about how the Last Supper was not only a uh, the real presence of Christ, not only the sacrifice, but also was the ordination of the apostles in order to continually uh, offer this sacrifice. Thank you, and God bless. Glory to God.